I'm Sophie Prock, and I'm here today with Ted Weinberg, a candidate in the running for Mercer Island City Council. Ted and his family have been living here on Mercer Island for more than 40 years. He is running for position number four. This is Ted's first time running. Ted, I'm so excited to get started. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Great, great. All right, I'll start off with the first question. What is your ideal Mercer Island of the future, and what would you do now to make that happen? Well, I, I see the ideal Mercer Island of the future being uh, safe and green and vibrant. Where What I mean by safe is uh, public safety. When I talk to people on the island and ask them what they love about Mercer Island, what I hear back uh, very often is that they really love the feeling of safety and security that we have here, which is in no small part due to our fire and police department that do an excellent job of uh, keeping us safe and keeping us healthy. Uh, and what I mean by green is keeping our uh, natural spaces uh, verdant and uh, alive and healthy uh, and addressing some of the long-term issues with climate change to reduce our carbon footprint and to uh, have fewer of these days that are 115 degrees like what we yes. saw back in 2020. That was a real wake-up call for a mm -hmm. lot of us. What I mean by vibrant uh, is making sure that our business community uh, can thrive, that we have uh, a good mix of uh, different businesses available and that we have uh, a good mix of spaces available for them so that we uh, can uh, uh, support that uh, different variety and that people are aware of what the uh, businesses are so we can support our businesses and really enjoy uh, what we have here on the island. Yeah, yeah, thank you for that. And I think it's very important that we address the climate problem mm -hmm. here on Mercer Island, especially for our youth, because they are the generation, me, who's gonna really have to deal with that later. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Residents keep talking about wanting more retail, restaurant, and entertainment options on Mercer Island. Is it possible, and what would you do to help make that happen? Oh, absolutely, it's possible. Uh, I, I think that uh, part of what we need to uh, accomplish in order to uh, get a greater variety um, of retail and restaurant space on the island is to create a greater variety of spaces for them on the island. Uh, the, uh, one of the things I learned in architecture school is that in the United States, we tend not to build buildings to last for centuries. We tend to build them to last up to 100 years, and then we tend to tear them down and replace them with something newer and fancier every 50 years. Mm -hmm. And so if we, uh, have a, if we can try to reach some kind of an equilibrium where the buildings get replaced every 50 years, but each year we only replace 2% of them, then at any one time we're going to have this nice spectrum of building uh, spaces available for retail that are from the ones that are brand new that uh, need a high margin business to be able to succeed in to the ones that are uh, much older and that a uh, lower margin business or something that is a more quaint uh, or uh, interesting shop that uh, uh, that's more uh, unique uh, would be uh, uh, would be able to thrive in that kind of space, and of course. Uh, Free enterprise uh, never uh, works to an, an exact equilibrium. There's always going to be fits and starts and bursts uh, of, uh, of construction. But trying to get closer to that so that we have more diversity and more uh, variety in uh, what we have in, uh, in our town center. And I think also helping to uh, uh, cluster them together so that uh, when you walk past business A to visit business B, uh, then you uh, see business A and you're uh, thinking about, oh, maybe I'm going to uh, stop by in that store uh, again in the future and see what they have. And 
uh, when they're more spread out, then you drive to business B uh, and you don't really see business A. It kind of speeds back, uh, past the window. So I think getting uh, things together, you know, better urban planning of uh, getting the, the shops together will uh, create some cross-pollination between the shops. Yeah, that's really cool. And mm -hmm. I think um, I spend a lot of time on Rochelle because that's mm -hmm. where I live. And I love how wonderful our shops are and how diverse they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have candy stores, we have bookstores, we have a bunch of different cuisines. And I think that's really cool. And I, I really appreciate the logic behind putting them close together mm -hmm. and the architecture of mm -hmm. the building. There's mm -hmm. some other smaller things like uh, creating a variety of space sizes. So if mm -hmm. uh, if all of the retail spaces are th like three to 5,000 square feet, then you're only gonna get a certain size of uh, vendor in there, but if you, or a tenant in there, but if you can have some that are like a thousand square feet, that gives smaller businesses a chance to get started here on the island. Mm -hmm. Another small idea is, uh, but a, a good one that I heard uh, someone <laughs> mention was, um, the idea of having kiosks at the light rail station, uh, mm -hmm. something that reminds people uh, of what great businesses there are here on the island while they're waiting for the train or while they're uh, uh, getting ready to go up to the platform uh, or up from the platform to get in their car. They are coming off the train with uh, full wallets and empty stomachs mm -hmm. and possibly some dry cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> and that is kind of the seed that gets them into the business district. And mm -hmm. then they realize, oh, there's also a hardware store. Oh, there's also this curiosity shop over mm -hmm. here and there's a bookstore. And they can you know, start to uh, become regular customers of other businesses as well. Yeah, that's a great idea. I really like that out-of-the-box thinking. That's yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. All right. What are the top three most valuable things that the city can do to help grow Mercer Island's restaurant business community, and how can you make it help? The, sorry, excuse me. How can you help it to flourish and grow? Well, I, I, I think uh, I, I think part part of what I was saying in the, mm -hmm. the previous question of like uh, the kiosks and and helping to group them together so that there's a, a cross pollination between them. I think one thing that we're hearing from our businesses as well, because we do survey, survey them on a regular basis uh, from the, uh, uh, the city council, um, is that they want more communication. They would like to hear uh, about what the opportunities are that are available to them for support in, when we have uh, a major uh, global event like the pandemic going on, finding out what are the places they can get uh, help uh, from the uh, different agencies of government, not just city, but county and state and federal as well. And having kind of a central one-stop shop that they can go to uh, get that information and get links to uh, where they can apply for uh, help uh, is, is very uh, um, uh, supportive of our, uh, of our uh, businesses in the area. And I think also uh, just long-term urban planning of figuring out mm -hmm. what is it that we want this, uh, the area to look like uh, 30 years down the line. And you know where are the anchors like the the train station and uh, Mercerdale Park and the, uh, the I call the Starbucks Triangle that has all the uh, you know barrels and uh, island treats uh, mm -hmm. and Posto uh, down at, at that corner um, and trying to identify the connectors between that right there's the 27th uh, connector that goes from the light rail station to the Triangle and then you have uh, 78th that goes from light rail station down to the park and trying to uh, identify how can we create those or make those more of a, uh, a promenade uh, that people can kind of enjoy uh, exploring along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. What would be your approach if a fellow council member or someone in the community has differing opinions from you? Well, I first of all start by listening. I try to understand what is the underlying concern that they have and what is their 
experience? What is it about uh, how the issue affects their daily life that's bringing them forward to tell us uh, about this? And I've been doing this for four years in the Planning Commission, where every time that we have a controversial issue before us, we have this thing called appearances, where anyone from the community can come before the Planning Commission and have three minutes with the microphone mm -hmm. to tell us anything that they want about the particular issue. Um, and that's how we learn more about what's going on in the island. There's no way that one person on the island could know everything that's happening here. So we rely upon that information uh, coming from the community in order for us to build a bigger picture and to be able to collaborate with our uh, fellow uh, council members or, in my case, commissioners uh, to build the legislation that works best for the community. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I think that... Uh, uh, listening is the, the, the first thing that, that I try and do. And then I try to identify where do we have common ground? Uh, what are the things that, uh, that we agree upon? And how can we build a solution outwards from there uh, that might work for, uh, for everyone? And even when it doesn't come to a consensus, even when there is you know, a 4-3 vote or, or a non-unanimous non, uh, vote on a particular issue, I consciously tell myself to listen each time, even if the, there's someone that I've disagreed on for the last five topics that we've discussed, mm -hmm. I want to still respect that they have a valid opinion, they have a valid life experience uh, that relates to the topic, and listen in case they have facts that can change my mind. Yes, especially in our ever-changing and growing community today, so many people are going to have different, different ideas, different opinions, and mm -hmm. I, I like that that you think about learning from people rather than just you know mm -hmm. putting your own topic out there. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's one example that uh, relates to the uh, Shoreline Management Act that we were mm -hmm. uh, looking at back in 2018 or 2019, uh, where the uh, the state had come to us essentially with these new regulations about uh, the shape and size of docks mm -hmm. relating to saving the salmon so that there isn't too much shade uh, and that the salmon can get through and not have predators hide under the docks and eat the baby salmon. Mm -hmm. uh, and they were saying, okay, so all the docks need to be a lot narrower. Uh, and whenever somebody wants to replace a dock, they have to have all these uh, different changes to it. And uh, it sounded like, you know, hey, we, we, we care about salmon here in the Northwest. And, and we're all on board with, yes, let's make these changes. And then we started hearing from the community about this is the, you know, yes, the community also cares about salmon. Uh, it's part of our culture here in the Northwest. But this is the impact if we were to implement the changes exactly as the state was, uh, it was indicating, that no one would change their docks because the docks would have to get so narrow that it'd be non-functional with their boats. Mm -hmm. And so the docks would just get really, really old and start to splinter and start to fall apart. Um, so we eventually worked out a compromise where we figured out how can we meet the requirements of the state while at the same time uh, creating code that allows people to uh, refurbish their docks or at least resurface the top of, uh, of their docks uh, and keep it uh, safe to use. Right, right. The light rail station on Mercer Island is scheduled to go into operation in 2023. Mm -hmm. What should the city be doing now to address anticipated changes this will bring into our community? Well, uh, there's three things that came to mind uh, when uh, I was thinking about uh, uh, this particular one. Uh, one is uh, the last mile uh, getting to the light rail station. Mm -hmm. one, another one is parking. And the third one is the opportunities that it affords. Um, and I think that the last mile, we need to have a way to get to the station in a way that isn't just single occupancy vehicles, right? So is there a way that we can have uh, it more uh, 
favorable to bicycles uh, so that people can uh, take their bike on the train or that people can have a place to uh, locker their bike um, at the uh, at the station uh, while they're uh, away uh, at work or wherever it is that they're going. And is there a way that we can make it more uh, accessible to pedestrians, uh, more accessible to people that are being dropped off um, by uh, either a friend or having some type of community vehicle uh, that can do it? There's a bunch of sound transit settlement money that we received back in 2017 that we haven't spent yet and that is sunsetted. So it's going to go away if we don't use it. Uh, and so using some of that for some kind of uh, like the acquisition of electric vans that could uh, do a door-to-door service so that there isn't another vehicle in the parking uh, parking lot there. Mm-hmm. But the, the other part is we still need more parking, right? There's 447 spaces uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, the uh, the Washington State Department of Transportation's uh, uh, parking garage uh, mm-hmm. that we call our uh, park and ride. Um, and it fills. Uh, before the pandemic, 7.08 was a safe harbor line. If After 7.08 a.m., uh, it was going to be full. And by 7.30, forget it. You, know, you, you may as well go somewhere else. Um, but I used to commute every day because I, mm-hmm. I worked for uh, the IT department in the city of Seattle. Mm-hmm. I would get on the 550 bus. I knew I had to get there by 7.08 every day. So I think after the pandemic, with a lot of us telecommuting, that safe harbor line might go up to maybe 7.30 or 7.45, especially with the new South Bellevue uh, uh, parking garage. But I still think we need more parking. I think we need to find a way, uh, even with uh, the different last mile solutions, we need to relieve some of the pressure on that. And there's some opportunities we can look into for doing that. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having an electric van, I think that's an interesting approach. I've never Mm -hmm. I've never thought about that. That's Mm -hmm. really interesting. Yeah. I mean, we had something similar to that. um, Oh, gosh, uh, maybe uh, 20 or 30 years ago. uh, Mm -hmm. That was more of a point to point solution to help people get to shopping and get Mm -hmm. uh, people to the uh, different community centers and the like. Uh, So exploring how we did that, how it worked, uh, what went well, what didn't go well with that, and how we might uh, leverage uh, what we learned from that uh, to uh, create some kind of a new solution for bringing people to light rail. Yeah, great. Well, Ted, I think that's all the time we have for today. Mm, The staff of KMIH and the Mercer Island community, thanks you so much for being here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, 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 go Islanders. Yeah, (laughs) Islander fried. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Class of 86 myself. All right, awesome. (laughs) All right, thank you for listening, KMIH. Tune in later for more city council candidate interviews.